a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there. I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. This hour, I'm going to be sharing something with you that uh, is becoming more near and dear to my heart every single day. Last week, I had the opportunity to travel to Davis County, just north of Salt Lake City, Utah, and I had a chance to sit down and interview a couple of business owners for the sake of uh, a federal class action lawsuit that is being filed to uh, to help business owners who have been unnecessarily harmed in the wake of COVID-19. Now, most people, when they hear lawsuit, you know, immediately think, okay, opportunity knocks. You know, some ambulance chasing lawyer is out there ginning up some outrage and getting people to come on board so that they can stick it to the big guy. Or in this case, you know, the taxpayers uh, for, for some uh, either imagined or exaggerated wrong. You ever felt that way yourself? You know, you feel like, oh, people are just taking advantage of the system when they sue. That is not the case when it comes to this class action lawsuit that is uh, currently being filed by uh, Garrett Smith and Neil Skousen. These are attorneys who are filing this class action lawsuit seeking damages from state and local government officials who issued unconstitutional health orders that ended up destroying our economy and, most importantly, destroying the finances of small business owners. Now, it's one thing to hear about this in abstract, right? You know, to to think about it uh, in terms of, well, you know, of course, there's always complainers out there or somebody blaming their own failure or lack of business acumen, you know, on, on the government. But I want you to think about what happened when COVID-19 hit. It was something that uh, that took a lot of us by surprise. Do you remember? I mean, it's been a few months. We've had four months to kind of get our minds around this. Four months for it to, uh, I hate this word, normalize in our minds and to become something that uh, we're at least familiar with, even if we don't really like it. But do you recall the shock of that first few days, the first couple of weeks When suddenly these orders were going out or these directives were being made telling everybody that they could that they had to to shut down or you couldn't gather, you know, in in, uh, this many numbers or, or whatever it may be. Everything got turned on its head very quickly. And in no way. Are we trying to minimize, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to make it sound like and and the people who complained about COVID-19 are the ones who got sick. They're not what matters. It's a real thing. It's it's a real illness. And it uh, definitely has impacted a ton of lives out there. But it was the government response that has caused the greatest amount of suffering. And, and here's the hard part. We have only seen the very tiniest tip of the iceberg. The consequences are only now beginning to be felt. And I'm talking in, in individuals, personal finances, the millions and millions of people who lost jobs. Yeah, I understand. Some of those jobs have been replaced. But there's a whole bunch that haven't. And there are a lot of people's unemployment benefits that are running out at the end of this month. And what about the small business owners? The ones who really paid the price. 
not because they were doing something wrong, not even because they were putting public health at risk or anything like that, but simply because there was some designation from some government functionary or or some government entity that told them your business is not essential. So I'm going to have a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to check them out at lovingliberty.net. The link is to Integra Law and specifically to a part of their website. They're, they're a law firm. Um, Garrett Smith, who I mentioned before, is is uh, one of the founders of, of Integra Law. And it's a website or a part of their website called We Are Essential. And it has a very important and special message for uh, anyone whose business provides for their family, anyone who has a business that has employees, anyone who has a business that provides products and services the public wants or needs, and anyone whose business works with vendors and suppliers. And the message here is you are essential. No matter what government gives in terms of designations, you can understand if they're telling you, well, you're not really essential. That is an arbitrary, unconscionable designation. And it violates a number of restrictions on the, the proper limits of government power. You have a First Amendment right to assemble, and that's not just for political gatherings. That includes business, social, religious, and family gatherings. And furthermore, as the lawsuit that is being filed points out, the U.S. Constitution, as well as U.S. Code Titles 18 and 42, specifically say that local and state governments cannot create laws and orders that deprive you of your right to assemble. So you're going to have a chance in this hour of the show to hear from two business owners, two individuals who in good faith started businesses, worked their hearts out, sacrificed and built those businesses, and then found themselves getting the plug pulled. Not because of anything they did, but simply because a bureaucrat said, well, we think it would be safer in, in the interest of stopping, you know, the spread of this disease. Look, I understand hindsight's twenty twenty. Nobody was clairvoyant. Nobody, you know, had omniscience. Nobody could see clearly where it was all headed. But we can clearly see now that what we were told was going to be this incredible pandemic with millions of people dying if we didn't strictly social distance and shut it all down. They were wrong. The modelers were wrong. Those who responded with this incredible hyper-aggressive shutdown, you know, enforcing criminal penalties in some areas on people who dared so much as go out of their house or open their business. They were wrong. And we cannot allow that to happen again. There's been plenty of damage done, and we can't allow them to do it again. They say, well, we had no choice. We just had to do this. But the truth is, they saw no other choice. They went the direction that uh, that many people will go when they're fearful or or when they're feeling a little opportunistic. And that is, I just need complete power. I need you to give me the power to solve this problem. And that's what they tried to do. And here's the scariest and, and to me, the saddest part of it is nobody wants to be accountable. Oh, I'll make the bold decision. Yes, I shut it down and I saved everybody. But now that people are coming forward and going, well, you uh, you may have helped, you know, flatten the curve. Good job. We pushed out the spread of the disease over a number of months. Hospitals weren't overwhelmed. I guess that was the goal. But what about the unintended consequences? What about the people who found their lives turned upside down and their businesses destroyed? In the case of the two business owners we're going to talk to, 
they not only had invested in these businesses and built these businesses, but to me, the saddest part of all, their businesses were taking off. They were on the cusp of really coming into their own. In fact, in some cases, they were actually, you know, growing by leaps and bounds. And then because of a a bureaucratic decision to shut it all down, they find themselves languishing. So we're going to talk with a couple of business owners here. Cameron Porter, who is the owner of Robin Hood Studios. We'll talk with Kirby Barker, who is the owner of Epic Party Events. Terrific guys. Um, you'll notice a little difference in the audio quality because this this was uh, actually videotaped last week. But you get to hear in their own words the warning that they have for their fellow small business owners about why it can't happen again. And I just want to make clear before you hear uh, more from them or before you hear more about this lawsuit, this is not about getting a big settlement against government institutions. That would just result in higher taxes. It would, you know, the taxpayers would be the ones who who pay the price. It would force a long trial. It would prevent, it wouldn't prevent government from doing this again in the fall, which many of them have, many government leaders have announced we intend to do. It's not about getting a big payday for the lawyers. Both Garrett Smith and also Neil Skousen have donated many, many hours pro bono to the case and will work for less than normal fees to see this through. It's not about revenge either. This is about seeking justice and personal accountability from the government officials, especially unelected bureaucrats who issued orders, directives, and maybe false information without concern or thought to what they would be doing to small business owners. It's about holding them personally responsible for the orders that they issued. And it's about preventing this from ever happening again. And if that's something that uh, you can get behind, uh, whether you are a small business owner or whether you're just someone who says, I see the injustice that's been done here and I want to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Again, go to the link in the show notes, which you'll find at LovingLiberty.net and uh, log on to Integra Law. Look up. We are essential. And maybe you'd like to help join the effort when we come back. We'll start out uh, talking with Cameron Porter from Robin Hood Studios. is The Brian Hyde Show. The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. We're going to start with an interview that I did with Cameron Porter with Robin Hood Studios. And listen as Cameron describes what happened when government told him his business was non-essential. We've heard a lot of talk about the victims of COVID-19, but there are some victims who have been overlooked. And we're going to be talking with you today, Cameron, about the small business owner who has felt the pinch of the, the government response to this disease. First of all, tell us a little bit about your business and, and maybe describe for us what it takes to build a business like Robin Hood Studios. 
so Robinhood Studios is a video production company that specializes in marketing videos. And my clients are all small businesses as well. That is why we're called Robinhood Studios. Our philosophy, our whole mission was to, is to uh, bring the highest standard of video production quality to the smallest of businesses. Especially in the modern age, what's 2020, High-quality video is essential for any small business who wants to appear bigger than they are or who wants to grow their client base faster than they can through word-of-mouth referrals. Anything that you're doing online needs to be at least augmented by video, if not have video as its core or at its core. So uh, that's what we try to do. I forget the rest of your question. <laughs> no, that, actually, that works. Um, Tell us a little bit about the amount of work that goes into building a business, mm. and then I'd like you to explain to us how your business has grown. So the, the amount of work that it takes to go into a business on a general level, you know, that's, that, it varies so widely. Uh, for myself, uh, I actually started Robinhood Studios back in 2011. It was my side hustle uh, for six years uh, while I worked my day jobs. I got my college degree. I had a couple of kids. We bought a house, lived the whole life. And uh, then three and a half years ago was when I was finally able to take it full time. And for, uh, for me, I didn't take it full-time because I had the clientele to justify it. I took it full-time because I felt like I was personally ready to make it work. And when you're going to run your own business, if you do not have some kind of investor, some kind of outside money, your only choice is to leverage yourself. And I think that's a reality that many who are not experienced in the small business world especially tend to overlook and they tend to frown upon. They don't, especially here in the state of Utah, there, there's so much emphasis on you know, living within your means and, and bootstrapping, which is great. And I'm a lifelong Utah and I, I definitely subscribe to that. But the reality of a small business is if you do not leverage yourself or your home or something, then it will be your side hustle forever. That is why it was my side hustle for six years, is because I refused to leverage myself. So when I went full-time, the only way to keep my children eating and my, you know, my family housed was, of course, to leverage myself, put myself in debt, which means that instead of working 40 to 50-hour weeks, I work 60 to 70-hour weeks. And it's not just me. That is the majority of small business owners. Any business owner who is not content with where they are if they are trying to grow, if they're trying to scale, trying to improve, trying to increase, trying to progress, they are working 60 to 70 hour weeks, and they're usually paying their employees, or at least their highest paid employees, more than they are getting paid themselves. And that's just the way business works. That's just the way small business works. If you, if you don't have the money to purchase the equipment you need to provide your service, you cannot provide your service, or you cannot provide it at the level at which you need to provide it in order to have a viable business. And it's difficult to explain further than that without risking being redundant or taking more time than we have, but I don't know if that communicates it very well. Talk to me about how that hard work that you have put in was paying off. Particularly, I'd like you to walk us up to early 2020. You know, you were putting in the hours. What was happening? Sure. So uh, starting in 2017 is when I went full-time, January 2017. Uh, of course, I mentioned I took out a business loan. We purchased equipment. We, we, got, uh, we rented a space. Uh, and over the course of about the following year, year and a half, we were able to get into a new space. Our revenues began to increase. Uh, but we're still not talking about large numbers here. Uh, in 2019, 
we closed out the year at around $80,000. Uh, forgive me, I can't remember the exact figure. <laughs> but we closed out at around $80,000 of revenue, which every business owner watching knows that's not a large number. That is not a significant amount of revenue. Uh, so that's where we were at. And approaching the end of 2019, I recognized that I needed to make a change. I needed to make a shift. And so I invested. I hired a marketing consultant, a marketing firm. And we completely rebuilt my company from the ground up. And that took place throughout the month of December of 2019. And in January, we launched new marketing initiatives. We launched our rebrand. We launched several different ways of doing things. Again, investing significant amounts of time and money into it to make it happen. And we actually used some of the proceeds of refinancing our house uh, to finance that as well. And it was paying off better than I ever could have dreamed. Uh, in January of 2020 was literally 10 times the amount of revenue that we received in January 2019. And February was 7.8 times the amount of revenue that we received in February 2019. And the indications as going into March, based on the number of bookings I already had, was that that trend was going to continue. We had every reason to believe that that was going to continue throughout the year 2020, which would have set us up to completely obliterate last year's revenues. So obviously there was a little snag that came up <laughs> about mid, mid-March. Um, but beyond the virus itself... And the public's uncertainty and fear about, you know, how we don't know how bad it's going to be. We don't know how lethal it's going to be. Uh, there was a determination that was made um, shortly after it became clear that COVID-19 was a pandemic in which some businesses were determined to be essential and others were determined not to be essential. As a business owner, did that determination affect you in any way? It absolutely did. Only certain essential businesses were permitted to operate in certain counties uh, throughout the state. Uh, so taking things first at just the obvious logistical value, uh, we were not allowed to operate. Other, our clients were not legally allowed, permitted to take advantage of our services in certain counties, including Davis and Salt Lake counties, which the majority of our clients reside in. So there's that. But there's also the, I would say, the less concrete, more emotional side where they did not understand, and by they I mean the government entities who decided which businesses were essential and which ones were not, they did not understand that they were telling non-essential business owners that their children were not essential, that their children did not need to be fed, that their houses did not need to be paid off that they didn't need a place to live, that they didn't need a source of revenue. Most people have jobs. Most people have a nine-to-five. Business owners use their businesses for their income. And what I mentioned before about being leveraged, about working 60 to 70-hour weeks and being unable to pay ourselves more than we're even paying our employees becomes a real factor here. Because we don't, we're not twirling our mustaches over stacks and stacks of cash in our evil lair. We're not these greedy corporate uh, pigs, uh, what's the, fat cats, that's the word I was looking right. for. We're not these greedy corporate fat cats by paying off our third yacht. We're living paycheck to paycheck, only we're, we're living paycheck to paycheck with the uncertainty that the next paycheck will ever actually arrive. We work every day under the threat that we're going to have too many people tell us no. 
that in a couple of weeks' time, something's going to dry up. That's the situation that small business owners are living in, and it's not just me. I don't claim to be the greatest business owner on the planet. I'm not certainly not the most savvy one. But there are countless business owners in the exact same situation. And when the government tells you that you are not essential and you cannot perform your service, you do not have a way of feeding your family. You do not have a way of subsisting into tomorrow. And it was government-sponsored. It was government-mandated. Okay, this is where we're going to have to take a quick break, and we'll be back the other side of these commercial messages to hear the rest of Cameron Porter from uh, Robinhood Studios' experience in being labeled non-essential, watching the business that he had built dwindle and start to die, not because of anything he'd done wrong, but simply because someone in government said, you have to shut down. This is The Brian Hyde Show. The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome back to The Brian Hyde Show. I'm taking some time to share with you a couple of interviews that I did last week with a couple of business owners here in my home state of Utah who have found themselves not just negatively impacted, but devastated by some of the various COVID-19 shutdown edicts that came from on high, either from the governor's office or from the health department. And we were just sharing with you some excerpts from an interview with Cameron Porter with Robin Hood Studios. And I'm going to share the final comments that he has. I want you to understand... He is not doing this to get attention. There is no monetary value. It's not making him famous. It's not making him rich. He is simply sounding a warning for anyone who wishes to operate a business, who wishes to be an entrepreneur. Don't let this happen to you. It may be too late for so many of these business owners, but it's not too late to put things in motion to stop this kind of abuse of power at the state or local level or even the county level from people declaring arbitrarily this business is is essential, this business is not. Back to our conversation now with Cameron Porter from Robin Hood Studios. Tell us about how you were notified. What what did you receive from government that, uh, that informed you, look... This is this is the line, and you're expected to tow it. Very very little actually came directly to me. Most of it was promulgated through the press, and that's how I disc- how, how I found out about it. Uh, the one notable exception would be on April 1st, the Davis County Health Department issued an order uh, that prohibited the gatherings of any, n- not just under 10, but any gatherings, public or private, of members that are not of the same household, which. I mean, I can't do my business. <laughs> I mean, even if I had been able to squirrel around previous restrictions, the, the 10-person prohibition, things like that, even if I'd been able to squirrel around that somehow, and I had clients who were willing to squirrel along with me, there's no getting around that. There's no, there's no loophole there. So that, that would be the only one that I know, was notified of directly. But reading the executive orders themselves not a not a summary or a press release concerning them but the actual executive orders and the actual verbiage that was used i don't understand how they are claiming it wasn't mandatory now if you read the plans the utah leads together plans the volumes 1 through 4 they they use softer language but the governor published directives using the word directive they used language such as shall comply 
they said uh, they also said that uh, they used the word prohibition in several cases. As those things came out, whether they intended it or not, and I'm very sure that they did personally, but that's just my own bias, <laughs> I guess. But they left the impression that it was mandatory. And I hope that answers your question. It does. So with, with very little wiggle room, you know, you, you have had to sit back and see a business that was on a very good upward climb dwindle. Talk to me about... Um, Talk to me about why you're sharing the message that you're sharing right now. I'm sure you would rather not be here telling us, you know, about what has happened. But why are, why are you sharing this message today? For a little bit of context, I mentioned that in 2019, we only recorded $80,000 of gross revenues for the year. Now, that was up significantly from the year before. Uh, but keeping that in mind... Our projections, which I did as conservatively as I could, showed that we lost over $100,000 of potential revenue based on where things were going and how things were moving. However, the timing on a personal level with my family was fortuitous in that we had just refinanced our home and we had a lot more savings than we would have had just, just two months prior. And so rather than, you know, investing those savings or using them as a, for a rainy day, we dealt with the massive rainy day that we encountered. And that is how we were able to survive. I do not want to be here. And were it purely based on my personal finances, I would not be here. I am here because it is critical that there be a voice for protecting our constitutional liberties. And you could call us, you could call business owners the forgotten man if you're into William Sumner. You could call us, uh, you know, the, the skeleton in the closet, the elephant in the room, whatever you want to call us. But the point, uh, the point remains that small businesses are the lifeblood of the economy. And that has been a statistical fact for a very long time. And if no one is going to stand up and talk about business owners, then I need to. Participating in the suit is likely to come at great personal cost. There needs to be a pushback in favor of more freedom, not less. Some of the laws that were used to justify the, the mandatory shutdowns, the stay home, stay safe directive, those laws have been on the books for a long time. And they were never pushed back against. I do not believe laws like that should be present. I believe that when the rainy day does come, individuals and individual businesses need to have the freedom to make the choices that are best for them and for the people around them. Uh, I do not believe that government should be in the business of mandating certain types of action. Uh, that or inaction, as the case may be. That is why I'm here. So there you have it. That was Cameron Porter, who was the founder and uh, the operator of Robin Hood Studios.
And, and I hope you get a sense from, from what he's saying. Um, it's, it's great if you can see the video. And I, I, I don't have, actually, I guess I will. I'll include the videos in the show notes. I'll, I'll have links to them. I'm a little bit self-conscious. It turns out the camera does put a lot of pounds on me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a little bit self-conscious about that. But the story that Cameron has to tell, and you're going to hear Kirby Barker here in just a few moments. Kirby is with Epic Party Events telling his story. This is one that needs to be heard because there are a lot of folks right now who are being ruined financially, who are being ruined in terms of opportunity, and there, there's no reason for it to be done. I understand there are risks, and, and this is not to say that, you know, COVID-19 is, is a hoax or otherwise, you know, somehow it's, it's just, a, you know, a, a ploy, you know, but it's being misaddressed by many people in power. And one of the things that you're going to find, and, and you heard uh, Porter or you heard Cameron Porter address this, is a lot of the official pronouncements that came out, they were worded as if they carried the force of law. It was implied strongly that you might be punished. You could be fined or you could be otherwise, you know, punished or your, your license taken or something if you don't abide by those edicts. But it's essential that we remember None of them were passed by actual lawmaking bodies. No, no legislative action put those directives out there. They were strictly either executive order or simply some directive from some health department director somewhere. And that's a problem. When you have people carrying out policies that carry the force of law or that have the ability to punish people as if they were law, but they're not actually going through the lawmaking process in which specific power is delegated by the citizenry to their elected representatives. In other words, where there's accountability, it's going to be abusive. And in this case, you know, it's this is not crocodile tears that uh, Cameron and as you're going to hear Kirby are crying for you. They are they are people who are sincerely doing what they can to pull their own weight. They don't ask for a handout. They're not looking for any kind of monetary uh, you know, gain from the lawsuit, which is being pursued by Garrett Smith. In fact, we need to get Garrett on the show. We need to get him on the program so he can explain about the class action lawsuit that he and, and others are pushing forward in federal court to make sure that this cannot be done again. It's not about the money. Garrett is working pro bono or low bono. He's, he's not going to get famous. He's not going to get rich off of this. He just wants to make sure that guys like Cameron and, as you're going to hear in a few minutes, like Kirby, Par- Kirby Barker, don't have to choose between giving up their livelihood and, and being safe. <laughs> that's, that's the false dilemma that we've been given. And even even if the directive wasn't specifically, well, you know, OK, your business is not essential and you can't open when you tell people, but you can't gather in groups larger than this. And again, treat it as if it's like law and, and they can be punished for it. It shuts down businesses, it harms, it causes harm that the virus itself could never do. So there's got to be some balance struck here, and I hope you can hear this as you listen to Kirby's interview coming up in the next segment. I hope you get a sense of just what's at stake here. Business owners have a First Amendment right to assemble. That means government's power over them is limited in that regard. It's not just for political gatherings. It includes business, social, religious, and family gatherings. And we have leaders at various levels who have been in violation of that limitation on government And they are causing harm. They are creating victims where they should not be doing so. Sorry, I'm a little bit passionate about this myself. Stay with us. When we come back, we're going to talk with Kirby Barker with Epic Party Events. Wait until you hear his story here on The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Here is the second interview that we did with a business owner suffering under the COVID-19 shutdowns. This is Kirby Barker with Epic Party Events, and this is his story of what happened to his business. Yeah, so Epic Party Events has been going, I guess, fully operational for just two and a half years, and so it's relatively new business. Uh, We're still working really hard to to hit that break-even point. That's where we want to get, but yeah. Okay, tell me about uh, what what your business does uh, so people can have a better understanding of, of what you were doing. Sure, we do. We provide, uh, I call them attractions for a, a variety of events from weddings to birthdays to school fundraisers, um, corporate events. So, uh, for example, our weddings, we have a really cool photo booth that talks to you and it's magic mirror kind of thing. And then we do video game parties that we bring right to the person or the event. Uh, laser tags, the same thing, and archery tag. So, All right. Um, walk us through the progress. Um, you, you mentioned you started just a couple of years ago. Um, how have you seen your business grow as you've put the time in to work on it? Oh, it, it's uh, been surprising me and my wife ever since we started. Uh, I've, I put in quite a few hours every week, probably about 80 to be honest, and uh, because I handle all aspects right now. It's just me for the most part. I have a couple of subcontractors that help me with events, but for the most part, I run the marketing and everything. And We've just been really happy to see it. In our first full year, we did around $110,000, which was pretty in revenue. Uh, it sounds pretty good, but after you pay the bills, it's not so much. So, <laughs> But it, it was exciting to see that kind of revenue so fast. Prior to early this year, you were in the process of expanding your business even further. Yeah, exactly. We had a couple of our uh, longtime competitors that long time, they've been here longer than we have, and they just decided they were done. So we bought their trailer and their stuff uh, and we're able to really we we planned on doubling our business this year like overnight essentially from the events and the appointments that they have coming over to us and you had the bookings yeah at least as as the year began you were there right yeah we were we were right on par to, to meet that we took their phone number their website so we we're still getting all of those calls and all of the the events that would normally go to them were coming to us, and we were hitting our projections with that. So COVID-19 comes starting in about mid-March. The world sort of turns on its head. Talk to me about how this affected your business. When when people first became aware of the virus, were they still willing to hold events? When people first were aware of what's going on and they started talking about being a pandemic here in the U.S., I mean, they were talking before that about other countries, but... Uh, The first thing that happened as far as really impacting us was when the state decided to shut the schools down. So we have a good relationship with one of the major fundraisers that works with schools, and we had over 20 events that went kaput overnight because of that that school that that state mandated mandated shutdown of the of the schools now each one of these events represents a fairly significant uh, yeah they're no typically payday. five seven hundred dollars somewhere in that range each one so that was 
you know, it hurt, but we thought, okay, next August we'll we'll be working with these schools again. They'll still do fundraisers, and we'll be okay. And then we got all the way down to, I guess, what we're in now, the yellow, before we started losing business uh, for fear of the virus. Uh, so we, they restricted us down to groups or meetings of 50 people, and we had, of our calendar, we had 40, 45 appointments besides schools. Only five of them were worried about the virus at that point and canceled uh, because of that. The rest didn't happen until the restriction of 10 people, and it has to be people within your household. As soon as that hit, overnight, we had people calling or emailing us saying, hey, we have to cancel. We don't have a choice. Uh, we've got to reschedule. Hopefully, a lot of our customers were really great about trying to work with us but we can't do a party like we planned. So we went from 40 to zero in two days. Wow. Yeah. Now there are expenses that keep going, even if the, the business <laughs> slows off or stops. Um, what, what happens in terms of you still have bills to make, right, every month? Yeah, exactly. Um, I feel that this is something a lot of people who maybe work their standard nine to fives, they, they don't understand. And I've, I've gotten this, it's like, well, go get a job, you know? Uh, the issue is when you start a business, you usually leverage yourself, and on top of that, there are monthly expenses that are much higher than normal. So, for example, Epic Party Events has about a nine to $10,000 monthly operating expense with insurance, with leverage debt payments, and so we wouldn't be able to go find a job that covers $10,000 a month, me and my wife or the two of us together probably couldn't find a job to cover that much. So the business really is our only way of providing to pay that and then to pay for our children. And on top of all of that, we had a baby right on April 7th, so right in the middle of the shutdown, which is another huge medical expense. Even with our insurance, there was um, medical expenses that came due. It isn't really possible for us to just go get a job and provide for our family. Well, Kirby, obviously this has been a lot for you to deal with as a businessman. Talk to me about your family. I mean, they're, they're along for the ride too. What kind of conversations has this sparked, uh, for instance, with you and your wife? Yeah, so initially we thought, okay, it's just 100 people. But as the restrictions continued to get more restrictive, real conversations came up about what can we do if this does fail, because it was becoming and still is a real possibility. Um, and we, we asked, like, okay, well, maybe we could sell our equipment and try and pay off the loans and and hopefully just start over. And then you have the question of who's buying. You know, with 12% unemployment, uh, businesses barely hanging on, nobody's going to be investing in a business right now. That's just how it is. So we pretty much determined that selling our equipment wouldn't be something that could keep us afloat right away uh, to keep us going. So the next option, and we felt maybe the only option left was to discuss what bankruptcy looks like because we don't have uh, the means to make payments if we can't operate our business. Now, it seems like early on in this crisis, Congress sprang into action and authorized some spending and, and some loans. Um, were, were any of these uh, loans from the federal government uh, made available to you? No. Uh, what happened is we did apply for the disaster relief loans. Uh, we were actually fairly excited about trying to get those because 
they had low interest rates and they could be very un beneficial to us. Um, what, what happened was because of the shutdown and our immediate loss of income and our high expenses where bills still came due, you know, uh, we had to use our credit cards and we ended up maxing out those credit cards pretty early on in the process, which lowers your credit score. If you max out your available credit, your credit score goes down. During this whole time, we applied immediately. I joke with my wife, I was the first person to apply in Utah because I knew exactly when they announced that we could do it and I was on the phone. Um, but they took about a month and a half to get back to us and had declined us because of our bad credit which was due to being shut down. Even trying to get back up and running after such a devastating blow is, you know, every day we still wonder if we're going to be able to make it through the shutdown, even though the shutdown is eased. All of our available cash on hand that would go, we have our yearly insurance payment coming up that we have to make the full payment on, and that's in 19 days. And we don't have any cash. Like, we're, we're no longer negative. We, we lost all our money. We were negative in the bank account. But the means to make all of our payments still. And I feel and I know a lot of businesses are in the same boat that maybe weathered the storm, per se, but they're just limping. You know, they're, they're mortally wounded, and time will tell if they can actually survive what happened. And is it safe to say there's still a sense of uncertainty as to when the state... Will will say okay, all clear. You know, you're free to resume life as normal. Do you still have a big question mark hanging over your head every day? Like we don't know, uh, especially here in Utah and across the nation right now, we're ha we're seeing increased cases, not deaths, but increased cases, and that's causing a lot of uh, additional mandates coming down through uh, the government for. And I think the the problem there is that's causing fear among the public. It's not necessarily the virus, but the way that our officials are handling breaking the news and, and telling people about this. So, Kirby, if there's a takeaway from your experience and from the conversation that you and I are having right now, what would you want people to know? That it is not okay to lose freedom for this idea of maybe safety is what you call it, that we need to be able to kind of wake up to what freedoms have been taken away from us, even if they call it, you know, under the, the name of safety. And we need to not allow that to happen. We've got to step up and say, look, we can't let this happen again. Kirby Barker with Epic Party Events. We thank you for sharing your story. This is The Brian Hyde Show.